This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This is going to be kind of an interesting one. First off, there's no picks today. This is kind of like a welcome back to event. Yeah. episode we're gonna do a retrospective of what tcg con was like we thought we'd both be there uh but thanks to east coast flights on thursday and friday i was unable to make it out so our original plan for the episode of doing some stuff you know in person and at the event fell through which meant that there was there was just a mad scramble for uh for picks and then a different lip format for this pod as a whole but instead we're I, getting through it yep Instead, I just got to query you. Um, so, the the first question I have, just because it was top of mind when I was thinking about this earlier, is uh, what was you know day zero like setup? So day zero setup was very different, I think, than GPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, most GPs you go to, you've got to walk through the convention center, get your stuff there, or whatever, load it in in some bay, and go to the convention center. Yep. This was in a smaller convention center where the loading dock backed into the event space. Okay. You you literally just like the garage opens up, you unload onto a cart and they had staff taking your cart to your booth. Okay. They would leave the cart there and you would have to, you know, load unload whatever yourself, but they at least had some assistance there. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, there were a number of vendors that left product because unlike Grand Prix, where security is only there while the hall is open, there was 24-hour security for the event hall. Um, and it was literally at each door, there was a security guard on the outside to make sure nobody got in, and there were three guards on the inside. So day zero was pretty quick. Uh, most people that set up, set up in about two hours, and then they just went off and explored Galveston. Uh, it, it was very interesting to see something that effectively was you know what some people would have considered a glorified card tournament run like an actual con where you know you're in and out in an hour or two and done got it so the the booths were already shaped uh chairs in place Mm -hmm. uh did they pre-table cloth for you or did you have to bring your own had to bring your own which is worth noting because channel pre-tablecloths a lot Mm -hmm. um you can put your own on top of it we ended up buying a space jam bed sheet yep and using that for a tablecloth for our break table which is yep which is the play i've seen people make you just find the closest walmart or whatever and buy something uh which actually kind of dovetails into my next question in regards to the booth um what was the actual setup like so at a gp now people know okay you're going to get your frontage your side tables maybe if that's an option and they will by default give you that back table at an anime con you don't get that extra table unless you buy it so we didn't have to buy it we had to ask okay which was interesting because there there were no back tables provided uh, we actually had to track down Dustin, the guy who ran the con, who's awesome and knows what he's doing, um, and basically ask him, like, hey, can we get a table back here? Yep. Because we thought we were going to have to go to Walmart and buy one of those, you know, eight-foot card tables or six-foot tables or whatever. The only supplies we actually bought were a shelf, shelving unit. Okay. 
that you know we built to put some product on but yeah they they provided three tables for us uh which we were you know basically twice the size of a super island Mm -hmm. uh and it was less than a quarter of a gp booth yeah (laughs) when channel was running them okay that so it does sound pretty much like uh an advanced gp so to speak um there's the the main difference for an anime con usually comes down to setup and then sometimes if you're at a large enough con it doesn't have to be anime for this but something like pax or nycc you mentioned how convenient the loading docks were the carts right there at those events not only are the loading docks right there but you will drive onto the floor to your booth at a lot of those larger events so that was kind of a a question i had that that you answered if they were just kind of shuffling and shuffling everybody along right there yeah it was basically you know get unloaded move your car yep get in and out as quick as possible Mm -hmm. so they they knew what they were doing the staff clearly had an idea of what was going on yeah that idea set up is uh, very much like anime boston you just sit in a line of cars until you get to the bay and then you have some amount of time in the bay to get your gear gear upstairs and then move your car the heck yeah all right so you know day one in the books so day two sorry day zero day one rolls around this is something you and i talked about ahead of time when did the doors open for day one? 10 a.m. For attendees? Yeah, for attendees. Our doors for setup opened mm-hmm. at 8. Okay. Uh, so, you know, there was actually, because we had the day zero setup, mm-hmm. and we had, it was literally noon to 6 was the setup window. So no matter when you got there, you were going to have enough time to set up. Yep. There was actually a surprising amount of business-to-business deals going on prior to Hall's opening, which you don't see at GPs because everyone's frantically scrambling to get their cards Yeah, you have like a hot hour to get everything done. Uh, Yeah. And there there was even, you know, the Dustin and his partner, whose name I don't know, unfortunately, were just walking around asking all the vendors, hey, you know, you need anything? Mm -hmm. What do you got? Like, you have any suggestions on how we can do this better? Mm -hmm. Which isn't something I've ever heard at a Grand Prix but it was you know it was not accompanied i will say doors open were was not accompanied by the usual flood of a gp where it's almost like this rush to get in Mm -hmm. or like at gen con for example when that vendor hall opens there are bodies coming and running to whatever booth they want to get to and you didn't really have that here but it, it was a steady stream of people but there wasn't that initial push of everyone to try to get in got it so, you know, you had that two-hour window. Did you notice if they did any kind of VIPs or uh, press entry prior to the event? They did not. Okay. Um, they had a few people, like, there were some people, I think, that were staff for, like, the company running it. Yep. That were in there kind of, like, recording stuff or whatever for, I assume, promotional purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't really see any preliminary media coverage or VIP access. Okay prior to the general doors open got it so day one and, and day two i guess in that regard then are the, are fairly similar to a gp there's not a whole lot going on that's out of the ordinary compared to a con of and uh, a different setting or a different uh, venue so to speak yeah getting those advanced badges that let you get in for the meet and greets or you know gen con has the early access yep where you get in a day early type stuff yeah yeah exactly um i think artists sometimes also get access to the vendor halls early because they're stuck at their booths so they've got to get time to to putter yeah. around they like 
and then you know, actual day two of the event, the only question I had thinking about this was, did it feel as slow as the day two of the GP, which as a vendor is notoriously slow, regardless of event type? So this is the interesting thing. Uh, it seemed like day one, and there were, you know, was the Pokemon event and the Digimon event. Mm-hmm. There were a ton of people in the hall, a ton of people in the hall. Um, day two hit, there were sub 300 people in the hall, and 128 of them were for the sold out magic event. I left at two o'clock mm-hmm. because I hadn't done a single sale all day. I stepped outside to make a phone call. By the time I came back in, six vendors had started packing up at 2 p.m. on a Sunday. Which n- you you never, ever yeah, pack up at Bermuda Green. That's absurd. Yeah. But there were vendors that were just like, well, we're going to pack up because we're not doing any business today. And all of them still said the event was great because of how much business they did on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just really interesting. And I think that, you know, part of that was the room as a whole walking around from vendor to vendor overwhelmingly was Pokemon. 95 had Pokemon. 95 MTG hmm. had Pokemon. Uh, Card Monster Games had Pokemon. Like, these established magic vendors were carrying Pokemon. So naturally on the Pokemon day, it was a little bit busier. Yes, yeah. But it's it's been interesting to see that like on a floor rather than just the website. But the magic players, you know, at the event, from what I heard from people I talked to, like it was kind of busy after the event ended, but not Yeah. Not like round three, you know, when people start dropping of the PTQ on a Sunday mm-hmm. and everyone floods and just spite sells their deck. Yeah, because this was a sealed event, right? All the magic events, or the big one was a sealed event. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of what we expected when you and I were looking at this in the weeks leading up to TCGCon. We were looking at the events um, was the big one was going to be sealed, which does impact how you want to play the game, so to speak, as a vendor on Sunday yeah. if things are slow. You know, there's... There's a benefit to leaving early and just relaxing and enjoying the rest of the day if you know nothing really is going to happen. Yeah. The the worst experience I've had in in halls as a vendor is generally speaking as you're heading to the top eight cut of a limited GP and then sticking it out through that because there are side events that are constructed. Like yeah. All, like you maybe make a sale or two throughout that entire time but everybody's just there to grace so you just it's not a good look to pack up and leave a gp early unless you have a flight to catch exactly right if, if it's a flight to catch or like you know in the case of some companies those gp workers also work the warehouse on monday so yep. like all right they're gonna leave early gonna, yep exactly but this this was almost like as soon as the first vendor started packing up it was a wild rush yep they're like oh they're packing up great let's get out of here yeah it, it was awesome. you know you didn't want to be the first one to blink but as soon as the first person blinked you were out that's it yeah that's kind of an interesting feel overall i guess it might be spooky as a player to look around and realize you're all all of a sudden in a room full of nobody but the event but yeah. at the same time as a vendor you got like you're not paying by the hour but you got to know when you're done you know and there's there's always work to be done at the end of an event especially if you're flying you know yeah uh, and there's plenty of processing to do. There was exactly. plenty of buys to get through. There was plenty yep. of repricing to get done for the next event. Yep. 
And to save face at a GP, you just do that on Sunday. Your show leads yeah. and, and your buyers might close down to do all of that processing on a Sunday, but you'll leave sales open because that's easy. You just say, oh, we're not, you know, we're not buying or it's only the hot list because your salespeople can take care of the hot list. They can condition yeah. grade the hot list and take care of that. But you do all that processing just to save face at a Grand Prix because that's the expectation is everybody sits there and is miserable similarly until the end. You know? Yeah. So I was hoping that TCG Con was different in that regard, and it's good to kind of hear that because it gives the vendors a break as well. It really does, and a lot of the vendors I talked to said that they appreciated this format a lot more because, you know, it, it was literally, it was 10 to 6 or 10 to 7 mm-hmm. was the halt. And by 6 o'clock, people had started rolling out. It, it was kind of interesting because, you know, had corresponded with Dustin beforehand, and he was like, you know, I want big cities, or I want places that are within four to five hours of big cities, because I want people to drive. And it was overwhelmingly local Texans that were here with a few people from Louisiana that ended up showing up from what I talked to. Okay. It, it, it was clearly much more of a localized, we're trying to just get people from a few hours for a day trip type of deal which I think is kind of reflected in how the attendance panned out from day one to day two is, you know, Saturday, you're probably a lot more likely to just get out of the house for a few hours, go drive to something to check it out and then come back home. Yep. Whereas Sunday, you're probably going to do stuff with your family or friends or just relax before you go back to work. So you don't necessarily want to drive out and then drive back. Um, But it, it was very interesting because, you know, despite tournaments happening and everything, it was a much more local group of people. And even talking to some of the people that were in the tournaments, they said, oh, I just drove like two hours to get here, which is similar to how GPs had been going, Mm -hmm. though is obviously very different than a Dragon Con or an SDCC or an NYCC. Yeah, or, I mean, when we look at varied events like that, but it... It also doesn't harken back to the idea of regionals, which is what, you know, Watsi wanted. They wanted these regional events that people would drive a small number of hours for. Well, it's like, you know, guess what? You have gigantic regions and people are going to end up flying anywhere. The same thing with PPTQs. We'll have enough so people don't have to drive infinite hours. Well, it's like, from here, we could drive four to Boston or three and a half to another fucking country for uh, yeah. a second set of PPTQs to try yeah. and grind it into the, the Pro Tour. Like, it, it never... It never panned out that way, but for an event like this to create uh, a grander feel on what's going on, it absolutely does make sense. Um, so you mentioned Saturday was primarily uh, Digimon and Pokemon, and those events were, there's one big for each, and then the rest were on-demand? There were no on-demand no events on-demand. all weekend. Okay. It was literally just a large event for each of the games. Okay. Uh, I think that's something that's probably going to change in the future because it is an opportunity for more money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Obviously. But I I think it's, at least for the first couple, it definitely makes sense to me to have these big events to try to draw people in. Uh, I think it's, you know, the memorial event that Channel Fireball had uh, in Houston was obviously competing, which it happens, so there was a little bit lower attendance on Magic End for that. Yeah. But... Yeah, Saturday was mostly Pokemon and Digimon. Okay. Uh, do you know if they fired... What were the other games they wanted to do? Dragon Flesh Ball, and Blood, Dragon Ball, and whatever... Yu-Gi-Oh! Cart- 
Oh yeah, Yugi and then whatever Vanguard. card fight Vanguard is now. Yugi and Yugi fired. Flesh and Blood did not, but I think that's because there were a bunch of RTNs, which is their version of a PTQ. Uh, uh, okay. That same weekend throughout Texas, and I don't know if you've looked into the competitive side of Flesh and Blood or if anyone listening has. Their prizes are insane. Yeah. Like it's actually like possible to make a living just grinding PTQs. I have a friend that's you know four for four on top eighting their RTNs, and he's made money doing it just on the prizes. But uh, those those. Yu-Gi-Oh fired, Flesh and Blood did not. But we know why, yeah. Super did not, or no, Super did. Okay. Dragon Ball Z did. Um, card fight, I did not see anyone in the room with card fight cards. Like even walking around the playing area, I didn't see anyone there with that stuff. I, um, I, I was taken by surprise when we saw that <laughs> on the list of events because I haven't sold card fight anything since like 2012 or 2013. Yeah. I, I had forgotten the game existed, honestly. Yep. But, hey, it was there. Yeah. If they yeah. wanted it there. Yeah. So why not? Yeah, if it's a game people are playing somewhere, why not? Uh, I, you know, they could have reached out to, like, Wibe Shores or something, which still goes, but I don't know if people actually understand how to play that game. Yeah, I think they just collect the cards at this point. Yeah. So Sunday was the Magic event and only the Magic event? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. There there was nothing else that day. Yeah. Um, you know, some the interesting thing was Sunday. Most of the booths that I saw that were busy yep. weren't even cards, like card booths. They had like anime statues, or you know, there were a couple cosplayers there that were selling like play mats and stuff that they designed. Like those were the booths that were more busy okay. on Sunday than the card booths. A lot of Sunday, I saw buyers just you know standing up stretching trying to look like they were busy (laughs) yeah that the way that goes is basically you'll see most people that go to an anime con are there for the long haul so Mm -hmm. if you're bringing your busts and your large items you can expect them to sell heavily at the end of the second to last day and the last day because people don't want to carry that shit around or secure it in their room all weekend unless it's super limited and then all bets are then they'll grab it yeah so to me that's kind of par for the course that that is uh standard fare so to speak um another another question i had and it seems like you kind of answered it was were there more players than attendees i think on sunday yes on saturday no it was way more families you know groups of friends that were hanging out yep it was a lot more attendees than it was players, Mm -hmm. which I think is good because it means that you get casual money in the door, Yes, which is way better overall. Even if, you know, it doesn't benefit like 95, for example, it's way better for everyone in the room that that casual money is there. Yep. Because that helps increase the ratio of attendees to vendors, which is always what you're looking for. You know, there's a, and there's a small amount of gatekeeping on it on the ticket price to get in compared to a GP, but yeah. compared to a con of another sort that isn't just sports cards, you know that that's a, a paltry price to pay. They wanted like ten or twelve day of or something, not too difficult. Yeah. 
though. It brings in money and cards because, hey, it's an event, right? People can come in mm-hmm. to, to sell overall. Um, and you know, this is the, the second one in a row. Circumstances notwithstanding, it sounds like the attendance overall is pretty decent. Uh, not quite comparable to to Tampa, just because things were a lot easier. Tampa's, you know, no better destination, so to speak, than Galveston. But we just don't didn't have to worry about the uh, COVID nineteen climate for Tampa yeah. compared to where we are right now at Galveston. Yeah, and I think that was something. You know, there were a number of vendors that pulled out within the weeks leading up. Um, that you know we're concerned about COVID, and I think that that had a big effect on what happened in the hall. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because like you know, for example, we curated our inventory based on certain vendors being there. Yep. Those vendors weren't there. Well, we could have done a lot more <laughs> business, obviously. Mm-hmm if we had actually brought the inventory that we would have if those other vendors hadn't been there. But, you know, it's certainly something that I feel for on his part because Dustin was like, you know, you know, there were some vendors that pulled out days ahead of time, like one or two. Mm -hmm. And I think it ended up being close to like 10 that just didn't show up. And that's, you know, when you think about that happening at a GP, there's no way no, you can't. that you would have a vendor last second cancel. You're on the hook for five grand. Yep. You know, sorry, force majeure or whatever you want to say, like, sorry, you got to pay us. Yeah. And I think that that may be part of what affected attendees too, is not just, you know, vendors or whatever, but honestly the COVID concerns, because it does have one of the highest rates of infection in the country right now. Yeah. We have, I can't even uh, I can't look it up right now. The the site's down, but we have an Ohio date and a SeaTac date in December. And if the idea is to keep this local for players, you know, they want people driving intrastate. That's not a terrible idea. And similarly, if that's the kind of way it moves to vendors, you know, then so be it for the time being. You no longer get that national presence for a lot of what's going on. A lot of vendors that would drive in normally but it still provides you an opportunity to have these events and give representation to the locals compared to the nationals at that point, which probably not too bad. No. And that was honestly one of the interesting things was there were really only two or three, you know, card monster 95 hot sauce. were really the only national vendors in there. Mm-hmm. Everyone else was a local, like, you know, not local to Galveston, but like a smaller mom and pop type vendors yeah you know there there was there was literally one of the vendors and this is you know if you've ever been to a gp or you've ever vended you know there's the one vendor that prices based on how they sell in store and it's way lower than it should be and all of the other vendors go and just shark their booth that booth was a a mother and son that were just hanging out selling cards having a good time and that's you know not something you would see at a GP is this localized, smaller, grassroots, almost vendor type thing. But yeah, at four hundred dollars a table, you can afford to do that, you know, or whatever. Just... Yeah, exactly. It was two hundred and fifty per eight foot table, which is absurd. Yeah. Um, so this is more of a question for what was at the booth. <clears throat> what games did you end up supporting uh, when you decided to cater your inventory? 
And also, what were people interested in? So, we did Pokemon, Magic, and Sports. Okay. Uh, basically, you know, Texas is sports, so we brought it. Uh, Pokemon was kind of a mistake, honestly. Okay. I have never seen so many Pokemon slabs in my entire life, much less located in one room. There were multiple vendors with, like, five to six eight-foot tables filled with Pokemon slabs. It was everywhere in that room. Uh, so we had, you know, slabs, mm-hmm. but we were one of the few vendors that had raw Pokemon geared more towards the players rather than the collectors. Yep. Uh, we did have a lot of Pokemon slabs as well, obviously, but it, it was interesting to see that it was primarily a Pokemon show rather than a magic show, which is, you know, mind-blowing to me coming from the gp scene that you know magic is suddenly the stepchild at this event but that's exactly where we were was that pokemon was the main thing that everyone had so we had a small facing of slabs that was like one and a half eight foot tables and then we had two eight foot tables of raw and then we had three eight foot tables of magic and then we had sports set up and i honestly think that while the buys for magic were better the sales for pokemon were insane Mm -hmm. the whole time okay and is that like people did people come to the booth to ask for anything you guys didn't have you know we we talked about the other games that they were holding events for but uh not really we did get some people for digimon and we eventually did have digimon because after round one a couple of people i guess had to leave and they we were the only booth that said we were buying digimon so we bought digimon uh which it turns out i don't know if you've played it game is actually really good i have not yeah so nobody i guess you know super makes things super easy to pick up unless you want to get some of the the narrowly printed items straight from japan yeah and the marketplace right now is all over on tcg player and facebook so i don't even know what the open market's supposed to be in person yet yeah super i saw some slabs that was it that makes sense the, you know, it, it was the promos or yeah. whatever that they released uh, that were in PSA or BGS Labs, and that was the only super cards I saw in the room. Which makes sense from my understanding of the game, and I'm sure I'll be corrected because I don't play it much, and my knowledge is years old. It effectively worked like Magic, where you could have a foil version of a card and a non-foil version of the card. So you got to yeah. figure out who you want to serve. But similar to... Yu-Gi-Oh, there are extremely rare promotional items <clears throat> that may or may not be playable within the game. So, the, you know, your promos, uh, if you want to think of it like book inserts or magazine insert kind of stuff, which they're not, but like that kind of rarity. Um, we're not talking like one of one, which I think Yu-Gi does, but yeah, those things are, are slabable and usually sought after. Um, so, but No Flesh and Blood, uh, again, makes sense. And I'm... I'm not unsurprised if people didn't wander around looking for Yu-Gi-Oh! overall. Um, you know, Konami has their own tournament series, and I think it's cranking right now. I don't know yeah. where events are, so moving forward, is that a game I would want to support at an event, at an event like this? I actually don't know. I And see, that's the thing, because it, if the event, from my understanding, the event fired and did really well in Tampa, 
But then in Galveston, suddenly it didn't happen. So, you know, is it something that's local? Where Florida just has the meta for it? Or was it just a fluke that it didn't fire in Galveston, you know? Yep. So there wasn't a lot of swing and miss, which is nice. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure people were also wandering around looking for weirder stuff, you know, outside of what was hosted, you know, any other games you can play, things that have fallen off, like Buddy Fight or Final Fantasy, but... And there was a dead card game vendor there, uh, interestingly enough, which, you know, outside of Gen Con, I just never expect to see a dead card game vendor, but there was one there. Again, tables are so cheap, you might as well. (laughs) Right. Right. How many Star How many Star Trek and Star Wars card games you want to play? Because I have them all. Um, right. And the the last big question that I had, because this is something we've discussed on the cast, is you know coming out of quarantine, were people eager to sell? Like we kind of figured they would be. Oh boy, were they! Uh, and the the interesting thing is that the savvy shopper did not exist at this event. Mm-hmm. They they were literally selling like ninety five for those of you that don't know 95 mtg has these giant televisions that they put at the outer corners of their booth outside of their booth that are their hot list there was someone literally six feet from the hot list selling for five dollars less than 95's hot list to another booth on multiple occasions throughout the weekend and you know what that booth did they took that card they stood up and they walked six feet and made five dollars why not and it, it they were people were very eager to sell there was not as much haggling as there typically is at a gp mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's a clientele difference okay or if that's a like hey we're you know eager to sell type yeah. of thing yeah. uh my understanding from people i talked to from the channel memorial event same deal it was an incredibly good event for buys people were just ready to dump their stuff and just be done so so follow-up question and you mentioned that magic sales weren't great, but Pokemon were. Were people ready, to, more ready to take cash, or did they want to move into another game or another format, more cards? Do you have an idea? Yeah. So I, from talking to the vendors I spoke with, uh, this was one of the most cash is king events that they had ever done. Okay. Uh, it, it was very much, you know, I want, you know, I'm trying to get cash out of this. I don't use them anymore. I don't necessarily know if I want to play this. Or, you know, I got bills, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But it seemed very much like people wanted cash more than they wanted cards. Or if they wanted cards, it was like one or two cards. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, get cash for the rest. Yeah. Yeah. So people are just looking truly for an exit strategy for what they had. So, yep, which, exactly. yeah, uh, again, could be clientele based. It could be timing based. It, you know, it could just be, I'm tired of looking at this shit. Yeah. Yeah. I get it out of my house. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I have any other major questions about the event. We'll kind of see what goes on in Ohio and SeaTac and see if they really follow suit. I assume SeaTac is going to be the weirdest one just based on location. Yeah. SeaTac like, events I, are always fucking weird. Uh, I love SeaTac events, they're great. Oh, they're insane. And, like, the weirdest way, though. Yeah. Oh, they're insane. It's like, yeah. if you can get in a, if you had to choose one to get a booth for out of all of these, and you, it wasn't to be a destination or a vacation, I would assume SeaTac is the one to go to because you should be able to buy and sell literally everything for every game. Like, yep. That's pretty much. Where, as long as you're fine traveling there, 
I can't imagine SeaTac is not the best. Yeah. It got me. Hands down. Like we we talk about it when we talk about destination GPs and where to put things because the expectation is that a destination GP like the weird shit comes out and it's like New York City, Vegas, SeaTac. Like yeah. you can talk about LA or Chicago because they're interesting destinations but like SeaTac is like where shit comes out of the woodwork. It's pretty great. I love mm-hmm. it. You've got the Watsy headquarters right there, and if you don't think people are going to walk down with some weird Pokemon bullshit, you're going to be wrong. Yep. There actually were multiple Pokemon misprint vendors. I was surprised. It, or at least vendors that had check out my Pokemon misprints Yeah, on. yeah. I, yeah, I was going to say, it's like I'm familiar with a few because of what I played through, but I've never really sourced Pokemon misprints. It's a market that I never really wanted to to step into because it had already taken off by the time I really started to like give it an eye. Yeah. But uh, is there anything else at the, you know, about the event or at the event that just kind of stands out? Anything you want to touch on? Uh, I mean, really it, it was interesting to see, you know, those two national vendors card monster and 95 move into Pokemon mm-hmm. because they had a lot of facing. Uh, Card Monster had a little under half the amount of Pokemon as they did Magic. Now, I don't know if that's going to be something that's going to be standard for those vendors at events like this from now on. I have to assume it is. I think it'll be interesting to see if that's something that they push for on the Grand Prix circuit or at the Star City circuit, whatever the case may be, where they can actually, like, try to influence and say hey guys you know because card monster has been on the star city circuit since it started if there's any way that they can say hey can we sell some stuff that's not magic can we sell flesh and blood mm-hmm. it's a star city can we sell flesh and blood it's channel fireball events because both of those companies are huge on flesh and blood now yep. so it, it'll just be it's it's interesting to see the shift with like the giants of the industry these people that are entrenched and have their business models and are known quantities on the national level yeah. uh, to see them kind of like be modal and switch into this other thing. So it'll be, it's interesting to me. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that shapes up throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. It, I think that's a good point to make because it also tells you where the market is kind of heading for different games and, you know, at a, at a different time. Yeah. So, I think that, that's going to be good and interesting to watch, especially for Flesh and Blood, because it adds a little more legitimacy to to the game itself. Um, yeah. I know my... Every LGS up here knows about Flesh and Blood. They know of Flesh and Blood. It seems like few to no people up here want to play Flesh and Blood. Flesh and Blood. And the LGSs are okay in that stance because they saw what happened with all the first ed stuff and how it just disappeared and it seems like nobody was playing it. So they don't know if the game is actually going to be floated by players or not. But Channel Fireball adding legitimacy to the game by hosting these large events kind of helps yeah. helps out. And so I think you know right now we're kind of in the infancy of being able to actually play the game yeah yeah so it'll it'll be interesting to see because it's something as far as i know i can't recall a card game ever having financial viability before people even played the game really 
but this had absurd financial viability before anyone saw the light of day yeah. on being able to play the game. Yeah. So it, it'll be, I'm fascinated to see how that works out. Yeah. What, uh, one of the, the, the people up here was, because they've been playing games for forever, so their friends were worried that Flesh and Blood was essentially a Ponzi scheme, not being perpetrated by the makers of Flesh and Blood, but but more so by those buying into the product to yeah. inflate seemingly inflate sales and the company just sees that right so they put forth all this financial effort and they put forth all these like amazing prize pools and then it turns out to be like and i can't remember the name of this card game that like came out said they were going to do a world's event on a cruise ship and then it all just folded in on itself Oh man, was that wasn't Wow, was it? No, no, it was something else. Okay. No, it just came out rip roar, and there was a little bit of support. The game wasn't great. The company put forth all this stuff. People had expectations, and the company was just like, "Nah, we're not going to do this anymore," and like cut out the world's event. And Love just, to see it. Yeah, exactly. And it just turned into essentially a Ponzi scheme. Like they cut and run on it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my expectation is that we finally do get, you know, people playing this playing flesh and blood the ecosystem grows and eventually even if there are these larger events happening on weekends like this those that want to play more casually or those that don't feel up to that competitive level still come out to to these events you know we start seeing you know maybe sides at star cities moving forward yeah i think sides at star city are one that i'm actually very much looking forward to uh like because i i feel like you'll get back to the more on-demand style of events if yeah. you have another game like that added to it, which is where the best value is for playing those, in my opinion. So, Yep, uh, absolutely. I don't... Kibler, Kibler's roommate ground into the Pro Tour on Planeswalker yeah. points from side events at Grand Prix instead of playing in the main like Kibler was. Yeah. Yep. That was funny. Um, and yeah, it just continues to add this legitimacy to the game and allows people to kind of pick it up and show you that like, all right, you can't just be focused on one vertical. You have to, you know, spread out and apply your model to, to yeah. multiple and, and kind of entrench yourself somewhere else and help other ecosystems and other, uh, client and player bases at the same time. I think overall it'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. And I, I will say from the people I've talked to. Uh, that play flesh and blood they say they like it more than magic i don't know how universal that feeling is but they've said they would travel for grand prix type events across the country no problem so whereas attendance may be kind of an issue for grand prix yep. uh because professional magic doesn't exist i think you're gonna see a lot of those players transition over to flesh and blood because you can be competitive there yep. let's get bk back on camera boys yep no longer hiding behind the hashtag kibler google yeah uh i think that's going to be it for this week unless there's anything else you want to talk about no we wandered pretty far off topic i think it's uh <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah, fair enough. this is about time yep. All right. <laughs> uh so for uh the cast this week i am at halt i am reptar on twitter you are at thirsty sizzler we'll see you next week See you guys.